O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom for ever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Thursday, August the 12th. Israel is at the center stage of world events. Israel is the apple of God's eye. It is from Jerusalem the eternal capital of Israel, that Yeshua will one day rule and reign for 1,000 years. If you want to understand prophetic end-time events and what the God of Israel is doing in these last days, we must keep our eye on Israel. Sign up for Israel on Target. We give you the top news stories coming from Israel each week along with scriptures to pray over Israel. Each week we also include an Up Periscope special feature article. Each article does a deep dive on topics you won't find in the mainstream media, including big tech censorship and the inside scoop on the coronavirus jab and other hot topics. Stay informed and in the loop. To sign up for Israel on Target, Up Periscope, go to dailyaudiotorah.com and sign up today. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Shoftim, and it means Judges. Deuteronomy 19, 11-21 But suppose someone is hostile toward a neighbor and deliberately ambushes and murders him and then flees to one of the cities of refuge. In that case, the elders of the murderer's hometown must send agents to the city of refuge to bring him back and hand him over to the dead person's avenger to be put to death. Do not feel sorry for that murderer. Purge from Israel the guilt of murdering innocent people. Then all will go well with you. When you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you as your special possession, You must never steal anyone's land by moving the boundary markers your ancestors set up to mark their property. You must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness comes forward and accuses someone of a crime, then both the accuser and the accused must appear before the Lord by coming to the priests and judges in office at that time. The judges must investigate the case thoroughly. If the accuser has brought false charges against his fellow Israelite, 
you must impose on the accuser the sentence he intended for the other person. In this way you will purge such evil from among you. Then the rest of the people will hear about it and be afraid to do such an evil thing. You must show no pity for the guilty. Your rule should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Nehemiah 3.15-5.13 The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kol Hose, the leader of the Mizpah district. He rebuilt it, roofed it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Then he repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam near the king's garden, and he rebuilt the wall as far as the stairs that descend from the city of David. Next to him was Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, the leader of half the district of Beth-zur. He rebuilt the wall from a place across from the tombs of David's family, as far as the water reservoir and the house of the warriors. Next to him, repairs were made by a group of Levites working under the supervision of Rehum, son of Bani. Then came Hashabiah, the leader of half the district of Keilah, who supervised the building of the wall on behalf of his own district. Next, down the line were his countrymen, led by Benui, son of Hanadad, the leader of the other half of the district of Keilah. Next to them, Ezer, son of Jeshua, the leader of Mizpah, repaired another section of wall across from the ascent to the armory near the angle in the wall. Next to him was Baruch, son of Zabai, who zealously repaired an additional section from the angle to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Merimoth, son of Uriah and grandson of Hakaz, rebuilt another section of the wall, extending from the door of Eliashib's house to the end of the house. The next repairs were made by the priests from the surrounding region. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired the section across from their house, and Azariah son of Messiah and the grandson of Ananiah repaired the section across from his house. Next was Benui, son of Hanadad, who rebuilt another section of the wall from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner. Palal, son of Uzai, carried on the work from a point opposite the angle and the tower that projects up from the king's upper house beside the court of the guard. Next to him were Padias and a Parosh with the temple servants living on the hill of Offal, who repaired the wall as far as a point across from the water gate to the east and the projecting tower. Then came the people of Tekoa, who repaired another section across from the great projecting tower and over to the wall of Offal. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. Next, Zadok, son of Immer, also rebuilt the wall across from his own home, and beyond him was Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the gatekeeper of the east gate. Next, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zeloth, repaired another section while Meshulam, son of Berechiah, rebuilt the wall across from where he lived. 
Malkija, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the wall as far as the housing for the temple servants and merchants across from the inspection gate. Then he continued as far as the upper room at the corner. The other goldsmiths and merchants repaired the wall from that corner to the sheep gate. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, That stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in the front of the builders. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites, heard that the word was work was going ahead, and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city that day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then, as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah, who were building the wall. The laborers carried on the work, with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, The work is very spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. 
Then our God will fight for us. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time none of us, not I nor my relatives nor my servants nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. About this time some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, We have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, We have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, We have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, You are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting I said to them, We are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then I pressed further, What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day, and repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, We will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe and said, If you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. The whole assembly responded, Amen, and they praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. 1 Corinthians seven twenty-five to 40 Now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I, Paul, do not have a command from the Lord for them. But the Lord in His mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I am trying to spare you those problems. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. 
So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks that he's treating his fiancée improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It is not a sin. But if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiancée does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. But in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single, and I think I am giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. Psalm 32, 1-11 Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight! Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty! When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me, My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey Him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Proverbs 21, 5-7 Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. 
The violence of the wicked sweeps them away because they refuse to do what is just. I want to speak to you today from Nehemiah chapters 3 through 5, and then we'll jump into the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. And in chapters 3, 4, and 5, we see the returned exiles working on rebuilding the wall around the city of Jerusalem. The wall has been broken down in many places, and there's a lot of rubble. And they are getting pushback from the locals, from Sanballat and from others. And first of all, they get um, mocked and scorned. And they are saying, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. So they're getting tons of pushback. And Nehemiah's uh, initial response is in verse 4, I prayed, hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in the front of the builders. So then they set a guard. They're coming under attack, and so they have guarding going on. And as they're being, uh, as they're working to build, they're also defending. So their sword never leads their side. And, well, let me just read the verse from verse 16. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah, verse 17, who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. So here's a principle. They're given a wonderful assignment to build, to construct, to fix the wall, and then also to re begin rebuilding the actual temple. But they get pushback. There's resistance. There's a fight. There's a conflict and a battle going on. And I see all kinds of application here. Let me speak about the United States of America. Under the leadership of President Trump, he began building a wall on the southern border because there were so many illegal immigrants coming in, flooding across the border, many of them doing human trafficking, drug lords, criminals, all kinds of riffraff coming across the border illegally. So he began constructing the wall, but did not get a chance to finish it. Currently, under President Biden, the wall project has completely been shelved, and we have 2,000 illegal immigrants coming across the border every day, and they're not even just from Mexico or from South America. These are people coming from all over the world, coming to Mexico, and then flooding into America across the border because the current administration, they're okay with it. Many of the people coming across the border have coronavirus, and they're spreading it. 2,000 every single day. So there was tremendous pushback when Trump was in office. The other side wanted to take him out. They tried to impeach him, and that, did, that failed. And they put him under scrutiny with the Mueller investigation. They did everything they could to 
thwart him, sabotage him, and shut him down. And so he did many great things, but he had tremendous pushback. So then, as the story in Nehemiah continues, we see that the people are beginning to complain because there are high taxes and they're being charged interest. And if they can't pay the taxes, then they mortgage off their land. Then they begin to sell their own children to pay their debts. And their children are going into slavery and they don't have enough money to live on. So then when Nehemiah hears about this, he thinks it over and he speaks against these nobles and officials. And he says, you're hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then he called a public meeting to deal with this problem. Now we're in chapter 5, and that was verses 6 and 7. So, continuing on in this chapter, verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10, I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day, and repay the interest you charge when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. So he's dealing with the problem head on, and the root of that was they were being greedy. In charging interest, they were being greedy. Now we have modern-day banksters, I call them. New World Order globalists, the Rothschild family from uh, the UK, the Rockefellers from America, and uh, they run the financial world. The Federal Reserve is not a federal bank at all. It is a private consortium of private bankers, and um, they basically charge interest to the federal government when they print money, whenever they print dollars dollar bills, they are actually loan notes to the Federal Reserve. And so they have become filthy rich, exorbitantly rich, by charging interest to the government and through the loans that they do. And so the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and people have been robbed. So here, we see the same problem even today and how Nehemiah dealt with it was he spoke to these leaders back then, these bankers, and said, don't charge interest anymore. Set these people free. Don't put them in slavery. And that's the whole thing is that all of that leads to slavery and to bondage. When you have so much credit card debt and mortgage debt and all this debt and you can't pay it all. So you have to work and work and work and you still can't pay it. And, it's just, you become like a slave. So Nehemiah dealt with a lot of uh, pushback, conflict, as he was commissioned and called to do this building project. So when God commissions and calls us today to the wall to do something important, a task, an assignment from the Lord, it's not just going to be... Um, tea cakes on a silver platter. There will be pushback. There will be a conflict. Many people are up on the wall today, shouting from the rooftop, from the wall, uh, warning, giving the warning about the coronavirus vaccines and the, the 
the problem that is with them. They're not even a vaccine. It's a toxic chemical being injected into people's bodies. More than 50,000 people in America alone have died from these jabs. And many, many more have suffered vaccine damage with enlarged heart, arrhythmia, um, heart attack, stroke, high blood pressure, bleeding, hemorrhaging, infertility, all kinds of issues with this toxic jab. So there's pushback and there's sacrifice. We're called to be watchmen on the wall. And if there is no wall, if there's a broken place in the wall, then we are to be as a human shield and to stand in the gap and to fill in the broken places on the wall. That's what watchmen do. They get up on the wall and they look out across the horizon and they look for what's coming, what's coming our way. And then they watch and they warn. If any of you have ever been to Jerusalem, to the old city, you can actually take a tour of the wall that surrounds the old city and you climb up the stone steps and you walk along the wall and there are notches in the wall and that's where the watchmen would stand and they would look out across the horizon and if they saw danger approaching, an enemy approaching, they would sound the shofar and then call everyone to arms. So you have to have a wall to be able to get up high and see out across the horizon. And if there's broken places in the wall, you need to repair those broken places. So literally, America's wall is no more. There is no southern wall, and people are flooding in illegally every single day. And in a way, this is a judgment from God. He's allowed this. And what is our response? We need to repent for the sins of our nation. We need to come before the Lord in humility and cry out to him and ask for his mercy and his grace and for his protection. Because this nation is rapidly descending into chaos. And it's not just America alone. In Australia, they are currently using the military to impose mandatory vaccines, mandatory quarantine, mandatory lockdown. And the military has been deployed to Sydney, Australia. So the medical tyranny is spreading all across the globe. This is going on in France and Thousands, tens of thousands are out on the streets protesting the medical lockdowns and the mandatory vaccines because it's in violation of the Nuremberg Code um, of informed consent. Uh, this needs to be a decision that you make, that, that you get to choose. It's not to be imposed. It's illegal. It's immoral. And so... Many nations are coming under this medical tyranny, medical fascism. And so this is a time to be crying out to God and to trust in him and to be in prayer, to be up on the wall as watchmen in prayer and intercession, because this is not just a physical battle on the ground. It is a spiritual battle as well. Primarily, it is a spiritual battle. So I encourage you, be interceding for your city, your state, your nation. 
Get with others of like mind and like heart, and intercede with them also regarding this this issue. Let us be like Nehemiah and the people who followed him, and let us stand on the wall, watch and pray, and build as God calls us to build. The last thing I want to touch upon quickly here is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 29 to 31, where it is written, But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So, from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it will soon pass away. That just really leaped out of the page at me as I read it. It just seems like a real now word for what's going on in the world today, that we are not civilians, but we are soldiers in the Lord's army, and we need to stay focused. We need to hear from our commander-in-chief, receive our orders, and then obey them out of love, and not get entangled in the world or distracted in the world. So many things can entangle us and distract us. Um, A rocky marriage, um, a career that is all-encompassing and all-consuming, things that we own that, you know, a large home or a ranch or a business that takes up and sucks up a lot of our time, energy, and resources. Those are all things that draw us away from the kingdom. Paul is even exhorting and saying, hey, you know, it's not a sin to marry, but it's even better if you don't. Because if you are single, you can stay focused on pleasing the Lord, and you're not so concerned about pleasing your wife or your husband. Wise words. And when in my younger years, I often resisted them and did not like to hear them. Because being a young single mom of three children, I desperately wanted to have a partner to help me with the raising of my children. But I'm older now, and my children are grown, and I'm an empty nester, and... There's wisdom in what he's saying. He says, it's okay to marry, but it's even better that you don't, because then you can really be focused on the Lord's work. And there's a lot of truth to that, if you can embrace it. So may we stay focused. May we keep our eye on the ball. May we keep our eye on Yeshua, the author and the finisher of our faith. Brothers and sisters, The prophets of old looked forward to these days that we are now living in, longing to see these days unfold. What an amazing thing it is that we have been born for such a time as this, that we were not born 50 years ago or 100 years ago or or 50 years from now, but we are living in these days the days when I believe Yeshua will soon return. He will return, I believe, in our lifetime. And so we are seeing many things happening upon the earth that are uh, a prelude 
to his return. So take heart, look up, for your redemption draws near. We'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>